because I feel like that's when it really builds is when I push it down and go, mm, nope, stop, stop, stop. You don't need to fill this. You're being ridiculous. Stop filling this. Yeah. That's when it's like, nope, but I've got to get bigger now because now you're ignoring me. Right? Yep. <laughs> so. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Well, other than you being sick, how has your week been? Oh, cold, windy. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been good though. Horses are doing well and kids are doing well and oh I just booked uh tickets for Disney on Ice with my kids this weekend oh fun uh, because it's my birthday coming up next week and I was gonna go and do something just with me and my husband right and then as I was looking for different events and things to go to I realized Disney on Ice was in Salt Lake this weekend so I'm like well (laughs) Larry, sorry, we're bringing the kids with and we're doing it. <laughs> it's not going to be a couple's weekend anymore. It's going to be a family weekend, but <laughs> that'll be fun though. It'll, yeah, it'll be way fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, good. I've never been to anything like that, but that would be super fun. Yeah. I haven't been to Disney on ice since I was my kid's age, like probably 10 or younger or something like that. Oh, okay. So yeah. And my kids have never been. And so it'll be fun. I'm yeah. How about you? Anything? Fun that has happened or is going to happen this week? Fun? No. It's just happening. No. So I've been kind of the guinea pig for my coach trying out this new protocol. So I've been doing that this week and it's a flush protocol. So what it's supposed to do, it's kind of like a detox, but a little bit different. And I'm super skeptical when it comes to detoxes just so everybody knows I'm like so I'm doing this kind of like to see how it works um but the goal of this is to help regulate my hormones better to make like my cycle better to make me feel a little bit better it's supposed to help like with cramps and and bleeding and things because the idea is is that um from what my coach has explained again, like I'm not an expert. I'm still kind of like learning along the way as I'm doing this, but that like women who have harder periods that are super heavy or have like really bad cramping or really bad PMSing, um, they tend to be estrogen dominant, which means like just estrogen is kind of built up in your body and hasn't actually filtered out like the way it needs to. Hmm. So with this, by um, taking like some specific supplements and then really diving into my nutrition. So I'm, it's, it's pretty much like a Mediterranean diet. So like I'm off of all dairy, all gluten, which it's funny. I'm like, as he hands, hands me this protocol, I'm like, oh, so I just have to eat the way that I always eat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, I can't eat anyway. <laughs> so it's like, so nothing that's going to be inflammatory. So like, I don't even um, do chicken. I'm just doing like turkey and fish right now. And then, um, I actually cut back my protein quite a bit. So what we're trying to do is just get my liver to really like flush everything out. So it's called like the flush diet. So I've been doing that, but the last two days, so the first two days of the protocol, you have to drink two gallons of water. (laughs) And oh my word, it's been like, (laughs) I'm like seriously just chugging every five minutes. Like, okay, get this in. And the first day, I was like, man, I'm doing pretty good. Like I had my water bottle. I drink in like two or four of them or whatever. 
but when I went to log it, so like the first time I logged it was because I had, it was a 20 ounce bottle and I logged it as 20 ounces. And then the second and third time I didn't log them individually. So I just went in and put, okay, 40 ounces. And so then my brain went, oh, cool. This is a 40 ounce bottle. And so I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm like almost to my goal. <laughs> and then I was like, oh crap, it's only 20 ounces. And so I had to like that evening drink a boatload of water but yesterday <laughs> was better like five times that night to pee <laughs> I actually didn't that's the thing though like I have not had to pee in the middle of the night and I actually wake up pretty dehydrated so I'm like this is kind of interesting because <laughs> I oh, thought for yeah. sure I would be like like dying I mean and I drink between like 150 and 170 ounces a day anyways so it's just like drinking double that so I'm kind of well that and my body is fleshing out a lot of stuff right now so I'm like between the two I think it's just my body's regulated it but it's been interesting yesterday was better though I actually got a 40 ounce water bottle and yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like okay this is much more manageable now that I only have to get like I don't know how many of these got yours too Mine has your logo on it with a sticker. Look. Oh yeah, you're so nice. <laughs> I changed my logo too, so no, no longer says mathletes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I didn't notice that. And then my husband was like, "What's mathletes?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> right." I know. Like, we'll see. That's just a man brain versus a woman brain. I'm like, yeah, and athletes. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> It has changed now, though. I will get you a new sticker. Thea <laughs> <laughs> loves it. She loves the horse on your logo. Oh, that's and cute. So I had a couple of extra stickers, and Thea's like, Mom, can I have one on my water bottle? <laughs> yes, honey. Yes, you can. <laughs> that's so cute. I'm glad she likes it. So I'm trying to talk myself into writing today. I should have written yesterday because normally I write on Tuesdays because my husband has class until late at night. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just makes sense. But yesterday I was like, man, I just got so much to do. Like I'll just write on Wednesday. But of course yesterday was like, I mean, it was cold, but it was sunny. And then this morning we have like a bunch of snow and it's yeah. overcast and I'm like crap like I should have just written yesterday so I'm trying to talk myself into going out there and writing and Sandy's been super grumpy with me she yeah. is not a fan of the snow apparently I don't know if she's been yeah. mad yeah but, oh my horses have been mad about taking the bit oh it's have they cold so now I'm like oh, that makes sense figure out how to I um I've made I've made a fleece, like I took strips of fleece and then put mm -hmm. Velcro on them. And then you just wrap it around and Velcro the Velcro it on and it keeps the bit warm. So I don't know if you've got like some fleece laying around, but that, that has been helpful. Just for the me. fleece by itself. Like you don't need anything inside it. Mm -mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll it just, it's like, you know, if you have a fleece blanket, mm -hmm. so it just wraps it around and does pretty good. There's a pattern, I think on Pinterest that I found that I did. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm looking at her today. I'm like, well, I might just ride you in a halter. <laughs> <laughs> right. My favorite thing to do when it's cold, if it's a horse I trust, is riding bareback in a halter. Mm. So back when I lived in Glenwood, uh, we could go, we could ride from our house up into the hills. Mm -hmm. And so we only had to go through like two or three blocks through town to get to the edge of town and then go up in the hills and, and, um, 
we would take Cody, my, I don't know if you knew Cody, my black and white pink horse. I didn't, I've heard the stories of him, but I never met him. He was a big sweetie. And then we would take him and Jasmine, who's now 29 and a half. Holy cow. I can't believe she's that old. (laughs) But we just hop on the bareback, go up in the hills. And it's so much warmer to ride Mm -hmm. bareback. Like, oh my goodness. Because you just have their body heat. and Yes. But yeah, it has to be a horse you trust because I don't want to slide off in the snow. (laughs) (laughs) But at least it's in the snow, right? As long as you have enough snow. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But yeah, it's, that's my favorite. I love riding bareback when it's cold. Just wear the muck boots. You don't even have to put on cowboy boots. Just toasty feet. (laughs) Oh, yes, it is nice. We'll have to see how feisty she's feeling today. The last couple of days, I'm like, dang girl like she's been feisty I don't think she likes this weather change <laughs> so, like I can't blame you I'm feeling a little feisty myself so he's like I'm gonna be a kite today okay mom <laughs> uh-huh no seriously though like jumping everywhere I'm like why are we jumping <laughs> and that's how she expresses herself at the moment she was mad at me the other day because I was bringing in um because I feed hay and then I also feed the alfalfa pellets. So, mm-hmm. and I soak the alfalfa pellets when it gets cold in, in warm water. So they love it. But I'm bringing like my pans in and she's like coming over to the top of me. And so I just like shoo her away and she gets so mad. She like rears up and spins and then kicks and then takes off. And I'm like, <laughs> so tell me how you think or how you feel, really. <laughs> Show me how you really feel, Sandy. <laughs> don't hold anything back yes seriously and then poor Comanche because she's been so grumpy she's dominant for sure so she chases him off of everything so we separate their feeders quite a bit so she has she has to work to chase him off of it but she has literally been ping-ponging between the feeders like she'll go take a bite here and then she goes chases him off takes a bite and then immediately turns around and takes a bite like I'm like would you just eat like and let him eat simmer down princess oh my gosh she really like like you shouldn't be in heat because that should be over but I'm like child oh you don't realize how much horses are in heat it's like one out of every three weeks like two weeks off one week on yeah it's a lot when I've been giving her raspberry leaves which I feel like have helped quite a bit because oh my gosh for a little while there poor Comanche would have just big old bites along his back to the point I'm like I can't ride him because he like she skinned him pretty good right along his back but ever since I started giving her that she's at least not as been hasn't been as aggressive yeah yet. so I'm like okay I'll keep giving you this it's yeah. the cheapest thing I can give you so yeah so. well it makes you wonder too like I've always wondered this if horses get like cramps and physical issues just like women do, you know human women how we get cramps and we get PMSE. Mm-hmm. And of course we see the behavioral things with mares, but it makes you wonder if they do get those right. physical cramps. Like I wouldn't doubt it a bit because there have been times where during heat that it seems like horses will be more uncomfortable with the saddle or mm-hmm. things like that. Or it's like, huh, is there, you know, where, where do you cramp? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> how would that be? <laughs> I, I honestly think they do. I think yeah. they cramp. Because I, I think dogs do too, um, mm-hmm. depending, but it depends on the horse and depends on the dog, just like it depends on the person. And mm-hmm. I think it does help, like if you have a really good nutrition system in place yeah. and, and everything, but I think they cramp, <laughs> like, yeah. especially that one horse uh, you had at that one time, that Mustang, 
like oh, she know. cramped she definitely cramped oh, yeah. there's no no question in my mind that she was <laughs> unhappy was, oh yeah that was crazy yeah, yeah that little bay mustang there yeah, yeah. it was like yeah. whoa whoa yep she so she would cycle just so everybody who doesn't know this horse she would cycle <laughs> and she was one she'd like one week she would be like our star horse like oh my gosh she was just coming along so well and then the next week we couldn't even saddle her she wouldn't let us catch her she'd become kind of aggressive she would really like almost kick out at us when we'd go to put the saddle on and well, she would just like sit down on fences. Yes. Too. Like she would yeah. just rock back and lean way far back and like sit down on the rail, the rails of the fence. Mm-hmm. It was just really weird. She had some of the worst heat behavior I've yes. ever seen. Yes, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful. Felt so bad for her. I know. It's like you need to be on some kind of supplement or something. Uh-huh. You know? Like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was when I always felt bad too, or just not even bad, but just thinking, man, to to have to handle that horse as a horse owner, like going home to her owner, that would be hard to handle. Oh, it yeah. would be frustrating. That's when it's like, okay, I can see why some people don't like mares. Because if yeah. every mare acted like that, that would be very hard and very frustrating to deal with. Yeah, for sure. But it's just like humans, you know, some people have crazy weird cycles and insane symptoms and then other people it's like you they hardly even notice when their periods there you yeah. know yeah so yeah and this is something I've been like really deep diving down lately because I have so many clients who do have really rough periods and I have really rough periods so one thing um or the biggest thing that I have found that's really helped my clients is we track their micronutrient intake so along with their macronutrient we ta- we or yeah, macronutrients, we also track their micronutrients. So like their vitamins, their minerals. Um, and we see like, okay, where are you deficient in? And then we feed them foods that are high in the areas that they're deficient and get them on like multivitamins. And I have one client who she had um, endometriosis and just really, really bad cramping, like to the point she couldn't walk. And now she's like, honestly, I can, I can say like my period isn't like isn't bad anymore like I can still do stuff I and it's pretty amazing and that's something I started with myself is making sure I'm getting that micronutrient intake and that has helped a ton like is it a a, like a complete fix no but it sure makes it manageable so that's something like if you are struggling with that um I'll link to it in the notes but an app that's really good uh what's it called now now it's going to go out of my brain but I will link to an app <laughs> in the show notes <laughs> that um, you track your food um, and it will track like all of your macronutrients, but also show you your micronutrients and where you should be with how many calories you're eating. And that'll just give you a really good idea of where you're deficient in. And then you can work with either a coach or, or your doctor to figure out how to balance those out. But now that we have rambled a lot about all the things, um, So I've been thinking a lot this week. I just finished a book called The Big Leap and it's gotten my brain kind of turning about a bunch of stuff. So I'm like, oh, like, I just want to talk about all of this. And I've had some light bulbs coming up too, Uh but really about growth and like allowing yourself growth and change and how you can do that in a positive way. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, And basic or like specifically in business, personal life, and like our work with horses, because I I feel like that's something you and I have dealt with 
just so much since we've even met each other, you know, <laughs> we're like changing and growing and it's hard and it's scary. And, um, yeah, so I just, I just kind of want to chat about this. So I guess for me, and I, I'm going to start with the business side of things, cause that's been one of the biggest changes for me. And I know for you as well. Um, but I always felt as I've had to change my business over the last, like what year, I guess it's almost been a year since I've been here. Yeah. So, um, I noticed as like things were coming up and I was starting to get those flags of like, Hey, maybe you need to slow down. Hey, maybe you need to change the directions. I was always like, Oh no, like, that's okay. This is just a normal thing that comes up when you run your own business. Right. Like I just need to push through it and go. And it would be little things like, um, some difficulty with contractors or difficulty with some clients or, um, with leasing horses or anything like that, like just little flags that would come up that would be like, that would make me kind of re rethink, like, do I want to do this? Mm -hmm. What are we doing here? But like, ultimately I would just push it down until finally like bigger things started creeping up, like multiple blown tires that left me stranded in the middle of the nowhere highway, you know, and, <laughs> and horses getting lame and accidents happening with friends and just a lot of like bigger things that, that came up that made me have to stop. Like it just came down to the point where it's like, okay, this is no longer even safe for me to do. So why am I pushing for this? Like, why am I why am I driving this? Cause it's no longer safe. It's, you know, I was gone for multiple days out of the week. I never really saw my husband and that really started the change to where it's like, okay, there needs to be a change. So have you noticed something similar in yours? Cause for me, I'm like, how can I learn to listen to those small things and not second guess myself when the small things come up? Because there was like definite points where it's like, yeah, if I would have listened to that and would have made that shift, then I probably wouldn't have gone through some of the bigger things that came up afterwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's in the beginning, especially um, when there's, I guess what you could call them like early on red flags, but they're not like the red flags that are like, you know, big, bright, you know, like, like you said, the big things, right. It's the littler things. Um, and I think it can be hard to differentiate between what you need to push through and what you need to see as an opportunity to um, push yourself past, you know, like out mm -hmm. of your comfort zone, right? Because mm -hmm. some people, it's like they see any roadblock as like, oh, well, I better just quit. You know, right. I better just not do this anymore. It's like, no, you are going to come across difficulties in any avenue, any, right. any business, any, anything in your life, there's going to be challenges along the way. But I think if we just take each individual challenge or little tiny red flag or, or things like that, um, and, and think a little deeper instead of just like in that moment of like, Oh, I just need to overcome this moment, see the big picture of it. Mm -hmm. um, and say, okay, is this going to possibly lead into anything in the future with my business or with my clients or, you know, whatever it happens to be, um, which again, you know, sometimes it is harder to see that big picture. And sometimes you just don't know until it happens. <laughs> right. So I think the, the more you do it and the more you see the outcomes of things, you're able to predict a little bit easier and see bigger pictures a little easier, but yeah, it, it is hard. It's hard to 
to know what what to push through and what is kind of like a like the universe throwing something there to be like hey I'm gonna get you thinking like right <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Well, and I mean, yeah, exactly. And hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Looking yeah. back, I can see those things more clearly that were popping up that were telling me that, hey, maybe we need to change something. But at the time, I, I was, like you said, where I didn't want to be somebody who just threw up my hands because something came up, right? Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm going to push through this. Like, I'm going to come out like better. But I think for me too is, well, and I've been kind of on a journey of really just trying to listen to myself because I have had, I have a lifetime of not listening to myself. Right. And in those situations, like, as I think back at, at some of the signals that came up when it was time to really change direction with my business, it was times when I wasn't really listening to myself and to my body mm-hmm. where, you know, it was, it was hard. And I was in the middle of photo shoot prep and things. So I was, packing like tons of meals every single week. I was having to take them with me. I would work 14, 15 hour days, get home, you know, and it just, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I remember every time I'd wake up or as the days approached to go to lessons, my anxiety would just shoot through the roof where I'm like, ah, like, okay, I've got to leave tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. to go to lessons, which is a two hour drive away. I've got to haul all my horses with me, make sure everything's packed. And I was kind of a stink because (laughs) my anxiety was really high and it just got me into this pattern of, I'm noticing even in myself now where like Monday, like, so Sunday night, my anxiety is through the roof just because, okay, work starts again on Monday, right? Like I've got to do all this things, all these things, even though like my work now is very chill. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I love it. it. It is, it does take a lot, but it's nowhere near the amount of stress. I'm not putting myself in any kind of danger. I'm not potentially putting anybody else in danger. And there's just so much that's taken away, but my body has gotten so used to, Hey, work like work is coming up we've got to freak out about this thing and Uh it's it's been interesting to realize that and to be like okay it's something my husband has mentioned too he's like honestly your Sunday night stuff just sucks I'm like I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) like my husband's the same way oh Sunday night before he has to go to work it's the same thing he gets all like in this like oh like he's anticipating work and actually this reminds me of that conversation we had was it last week or two weeks ago anyway when you were talking about sandy's um perspective of the trailer and how she gets up to the trailer and just like gets anxiety and and it's like the same thing you have this like mindset of like you know her mindset was like trailer means anxiety and like Mm -hmm. and scary things and and with you it's like work for so many years meant like oh high stress and and all of that and so your body just gets in this mindset of work equals stress And so I wonder if like, you know, just having a perspective shift of like, well, what is work and Mm -hmm. what does it mean to me? Like define it differently so that your perspective shifts a little bit, which will then shift the chemicals in your brain. So you don't go through those same cycles. I don't know. No, I love that. (laughs) I love that. And that's definitely been something like the last few weeks, especially as I've been reading this book and just kind of diving into more mindset stuff. Cause the mindset stuff is such a huge thing with what I'm doing now. And it's a huge thing with me and that I deal with, with my clients all the time. So it's something I'm constantly like researching, like, okay, how can I better help people through their mindset shifts and help me? And you're exactly right. Like just trying to shift that 
enough. I mean, I'm still going to get the anxiety pop-ups, right? But even Uh just being able to be like, oh, I noticed that, hey, you're feeling a little anxious. Like this, these are the physical feelings. Like my chest is tight. My heart's racing a little bit. I'm like, my stomach feels a little bit queasy. And it's just like noticing that and being like, okay, you know, is this something that we need to take care of? Yes or no. And just being like, be able to just check in with myself and be mindful and not push it down and be like, you don't need to feel this because I feel like that's when it really builds is when I push it down and go, "Mm, nope, stop, stop, stop. You don't need to feel this. You're being ridiculous. Stop feeling this. That's when it's like, nope, but I've got to get bigger now because now you're ignoring me. (laughs) (laughs) So so yeah. Like this inner battle. (laughs) Yes. No, for sure. Well, and as you're talking here, um, like doing thought work and stuff, right. And like pushing through some of those like feelings or, um, those hard times. Um, I got thinking that I think one of the questions you could ask yourself is if I push through this, will it get me, what will I accomplish? Will it get me closer to my goal? what is my goal? I mean, keep your goal in mind and then rethink your goal. Is that still my goal? You know, was Mm -hmm. your goal five years ago, the same goal you have now, if it is, you know, what's your why behind the goal. Um, but I think just having that, that, that question of if I accomplish this, if I push through this, if I, um, do X, Y, or Z, what will it accomplish? And it, will it further me to where I want to be or will it take me further away? Yeah. So I think that can be helpful too. No, I, I 100% agree. I really like that. And, um, one thing that I really liked about that is thinking about your goal. Cause as I think back at this past business, it's like, well, I hit my goal. Right. And I didn't have really much more of a goal other than that, because I didn't know where we were going to end up. Like I didn't, the way that it was working, traveling hours and hours and hours away was not working really in the grand scheme of things, I was fully booked. Like there's no way I could have taken on more clients. Um, and I was getting burnt out, but it's been interesting. Cause this week, um, like went and opened my bank banking account and had like all these questions and things that came up about like, what, what's your five-year plan for your business? What's this? And like, and I actually have it, you know, <laughs> for this one where with that last business, it, it hit that point where it was, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, like I had no goals. I had no nothing. Cause it was like, well, I've kind of hit my goals. I had my program set up the way that I wanted it set up. I had fully booked clients. I had 20 plus horses. I, you know, and it just was, there was nothing else to push for at the point that I was at in there. And so I, I like that aspect of it. And I think that is one of the triggers that you can look at when you're needing change is, Okay, do you have goals? Like, what is your five-year plan? Do you even have one? If you don't and you're miserable, then maybe that's a like the biggest sign that mm-hmm. things need to change, that maybe this is no longer the avenue for you. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've had a couple different times over the years with my business that things have shifted mm-hmm. and uh, well, one of them's happening kind of right now. So, <laughs> right. but one happened probably about... Oh, four and a half years, I think, after I started. Um, and so I had started my cult starting business in 2014, and I had mostly one client at the time who had a ton of horses. 
family friend and um in one of the previous episodes he was the one that I said their horses kind of made me right Mm -hmm. um but at a certain point um well just to explain a little bit their horses were for sheep herding and um a lot of them were just turned loose as babies you know not really been handled a whole lot and a lot of them were actually very very fearful of humans mainly because the only contact they had with humans was to be vaccinated or branded or you know things like that and then turned back loose with the herd and so it was like humans mean pain and yeah (laughs) or things that are unpleasant so I had to work through a lot of fear with a lot of the horses and several of them came along very nicely um hence why I learned so many techniques because I was working with you know, a lot of (laughs) very fearful horses. Um, But I also got hurt quite a bit with these horses because many of them with that fear would go into survival mode, you know, Mm -hmm. and they would buck or kick or bolt or, or do all sorts of shenanigans. And, and um, at one point it was an extremely difficult decision to make, but it was, it was kind of like there were several horses in a row that like one had damaged a ligament and then I'd gotten thrown pretty hard from another one. And then another one threw me hard enough to the cracker rib. And, um, that was the one that kind of was like, okay, like, do I, is this me for like, that was the first thing I always am like, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Am I a bad trainer? Am I, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so it got me thinking about me, but then it also got me thinking about what my goals were with my business and and some people in the cult starting world they take pride in being able to ride the the iffy ones right Mm -hmm. and to be able to ride the buck out of that and and to um to get those horses to essentially shut down a lot of a lot of people get those type of cults to just shut down instead of um working through things and problem solving um but that's not my goal. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a bronc rider. That's not why I got into cult starting. I got into cult starting because I loved being able to communicate with an animal and be able to teach them something they had never learned before. You know, taking a horse from zero handling, maybe even haltered up to being able to carry a rider, go on a loose rein, move around quietly, uh, be confident, go through obstacles um, and do all those things. That was just so like, wow, you know, in 60 days I can teach all of this stuff. And it was just so fun and so great, but, but yeah, the bronc riding and the, all that part was just not my cup of tea. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, especially after having kids, you know, it was, I had said before I got thrown at 11 weeks pregnant, which had added a lot of like, whoa, um, (laughs) a lot of uh, thought work into, into that. But I ended up deciding that, this particular client and again it was a family member so it was like oh like how do I how do I make this choice to drop this client mm-hmm. um simply because the type of horses they were sending me with the background that the horses had and the way that they raised their horses was not my the way I wanted my business to go they weren't my quote-unquote ideal client right? right and so thinking of the types of clients that I wanted and Um, I just wanted ones that were a little gentler, had been handled a little bit more. Um, And so I started creating an application process at that point 
for my business so that people would have to tell me a little bit more about their horses. Um, and again, I was still four and a half years in, I had taken a couple breaks with having two kids at that point. And so my business was slow growing in the beginning. Um, so I still had to essentially take whoever came my way. <laughs> um, a few people I definitely turned down at the time, but it definitely helped me to have more of an idea of, okay, what is my ideal client and what are the types of horses I want to be working with? What do I want? Like what skill set do I want to grow? Do I want to grow my ability to ride a little bit if your horses, or do I want to grow my ability to, um, to communicate and to do those things a little bit more effectively? Mm -hmm. So, but it was a tough shift because I did, like, like I said, those horses made me and I didn't want to make that client feel like I didn't appreciate them or their horses and, and what I had learned through the years, but it just got to that point where it was, it was, it was more holding me back to stay mm -hmm. with their horses than it was helping me grow as a human and grow as a horse trainer. Right. So that was kind of a big shift for me was shifting into, okay, what types of horses will I accept into mm -hmm. my program? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that story. And it's so hard because change is so hard, right? Like you go through a grieving process with all of these changes and all of these shifts. And every time you try to change something and it, it's hard to to do that because I feel like, and I don't, I don't know, tell me if you feel the same way, but whenever I had a change, especially like if we just take my business, for instance, changing that, I mean, it was so hard because it was such a big part of my identity. Like I had built a name for myself. Like people respected me and respected what I did. I had worked 10 years to get to that point of, Hey, you can look to me for advice. Like I actually know what I'm talking about. I can actually help these people and these kids, especially through mm -hmm. these issues. Like it was a big piece of who I was. So even thinking about stepping away from that and, and shifting it or making a change, it was so stinking hard. Cause like, I mean, it just, I grieved, but I also looked at it too and was like, like I felt like a failure, right? Because yeah. I had to change it. Like there, there's that feeling of failing every yeah. time that I've had to come up with that. And even just, if we talk even personal, even just moving from where I was by you up to Idaho, I mean, that whole process, it was like, I have failed at something, you know, and, and in my personal life, I felt like I'd failed with everything. Like it wasn't just my business, but it's like all of a sudden my business, I had spent 10 years building. I just had to throw away you know, the life, like we thought we were going to live forever down in that area. And all of a sudden, nope, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. And then just like moving back to my hometown was not an easy decision. I do not have fond memories of living here. So it was very, very hard to make that jump and be like, okay, like, and really think about it as being best for my husband and I, and being best for my husband really. Um, so he can get his education and and feel like he is being successful and getting a, a good career but it was hard it was like oh my gosh like I have I have made the ultimate failure like not only am I failing because I have to let go of this business but I'm failing like all the family that's down there I'm failing all the friends that are down there then like yeah. here's the girl who would never have moved back to her hometown and look at where I'm at you know back at my hometown <laughs> and it's just it's hard to break past that and and realize that 
you know, just because you need a change or just because things aren't working out doesn't mean you failed. Doesn't mean that you didn't give it your hardest most of the time, you know, <laughs> I'm talking to growth minded people here, but, but it doesn't always mean that, that you have failed and you have, and that you haven't given it your all. And it's taken me like a good part of a year to really feel that way about this transition for me yeah. where I'm like, I feel like now I'm at a pretty good place where it's like, I can look back and be like, yeah, no, I actually, I've really needed this shift for me to grow as a person. Just like you were saying, you needed to shift away from that guy to grow and be the person that you are today. And yeah. you're going to have to shift and and make other changes to grow and be the person you're going to be tomorrow. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Like it sucks. <laughs> it sucks it so does. bad. <laughs> well, and a cool part of my story with when that happened years ago, um, it was, I want to say it had been within the first year after my mom passed away and um, that I was kind of transitioning and, and shifting out of this and trying to make this decision. And it is crazy to me how the universe will just like throw things at you and it's like wow mm -hmm. um because I had been going through some of my mom's things and um I found she loved writing down quotes I mean she had like a stack inches thick of three by five cards that had quotes that she loved on wow. it and of course neon neon mm, uh, of three course. By five cards. <laughs> um but then there was this little it wasn't one of her neon cards it was this little tiny white piece of paper that I found tucked in, uh, I think it was one of her old purses, if I remember right. And it said, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Mm. And I can't remember who said it. Um, it was so, I mean, someone quoted it somewhere, so <laughs> not my mom's words, but it was just amazing that I found that at that time. And like, I put that in my bathroom, sitting right next to my mirror for mm. the next probably a year after that, or probably even longer than that, to just have that quote there to remind me to, to have that growth mindset, you know, it's okay to give up something that you were very attached to in your past that wasn't part of your identity and part of who you were and what you thought you wanted, or, you know, right. And, and to give that up a little bit so that you can go for more and go for, for something even better. So like, it's just crazy to me that, you know, of the, like I said, stacks and stacks of of quotable little cards that my mom mm -hmm. had I happened to find that very particular one that was so pertinent in my life at that time and it just happened to fall in my lap <laughs> so, it's amazing thanks, right it's amazing <laughs> how things come up like I'm a big proponent of like everything for a reason that's my mantra and that's what helps me get through things is okay yeah. everything for a reason I don't, you know, like whatever you believe in everything for a reason that just, that's something that's helped me and it might not help other people, but like that, like that came up for a reason, right? You needed to find that and, and you did, and it came up at the perfect time. I love that. It gives me chills. <laughs> right? I know. Like, it's like, yeah. oh, so mom yeah. was looking out for me. Yes, She's she like, was. Here's a little motivation to keep going with the decision. <laughs> yes. Well, and it is hard. And you and I have talked a lot over the last couple of years about changes and decision making and being like I don't know Camry like should I make this decision you know and and we've yeah. had the same conversation with you and it's just it is it's so hard you know and and it's it's such an applicable thing I feel like in your and I's relationship just because I do feel like you and I talk about things like this quite a bit yeah um <laughs> women business owners in the horse industry <laughs> oh yes yes it's not easy but 
it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. And it's something, um, yeah, that I feel like everyone needs to take a step back and be able to think things through. Cause I have watched like members of my family, especially just the last, well, okay. Maybe the last 10 years with, with some members but <laughs> where they're stuck in a place where like they feel stuck. Like, uh, one particular member of my family that I can think of, they don't like their job. Their job doesn't serve them. You know, whenever they're working, they end up with ulcers. They are super stressed out. They don't feel fulfilled. They don't feel like their coworkers respect them. And this has been going on for years and years and years, you know, and it's just like, oh, like, why can't you quit? But it's, but they feel stuck because it's like, well, there's my retirement here. You know, this is all I do. Like, there's no other option. And it's interesting to me because for me, I am such a person who's like, no, like if I don't feel fulfilled and happy, I'm making a change. And that, but that's just who I am. Because I've, I've had a few jobs where it's like, yeah, I could have probably stayed there for the rest of my life. I probably could have made okay money doing the horse thing at, at these places. But when it came down to it, I didn't feel respected. I didn't like the direction that the place wanted to go wasn't going in the direction that I wanted to go with, with my expertise. And I had a chat with a friend at that time and she's like, well, how much money would they have to offer you for you to stay? And I was just like, you know what? They could offer me a million dollars and I wouldn't be able to stay. Like, I just can't. For me, it's not about the money. For me, it's about fulfillment and being happy and being the best person that I can be. And it's really hard or really hard for me to understand that in other people like watching this family family member, I'm like, would you please just quit? Like, surely there's, <laughs> you know, other things that will come up that will make you happier and healthier, but they are very much stuck in that place, which I respect that, you know, too, because it is their livelihood and change is hard and it, you have to go through a grieving process with change and yeah. there's a lot that goes into it. So definitely like not a bad thing that they are staying. It's just, it's hard for me to watch when I'm like, oh, but you could be happier, you could be healthier, you, you know, like you could actually thrive. And I'm just a proponent of, of that. And that's when, um, when I've been faced with changes that I keep thinking of, it's like, okay, well, am I really the happiest, most thriving person in the situation that I'm at right now? And if I'm not, that's a really good sign for me that there needs to be a change of some sort, whether that's doing what I did and completely changing everything or like what you did and just shifting a little bit and going, Hey, no, we just need to change this. Okay. And let's yeah. change this a little bit. Right. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but even the small things are really hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, and speaking of like books that kind of get your mind thinking on this, I've been reading this book called mastery by, oh. um, Robert Greene. Mm-hmm. And he's just talking about becoming a master in your field um, at, you know, whether it's your career or your um, hobby or, you know, whatever it is. And it's just crazy to me how he talks about it takes like roughly 10 years and approximately 10,000 hours to get to become a master. So you need to be an apprentice for like seven to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so that means sometimes taking the jobs that you make less money or, and, and not everyone's goal is to become a master in their field. And let me just say that too, like some right. people, their goal isn't to 
to be that master. Their goal is to be able to make enough money to be comfortable and, and to have a job that they get the time off that they need or the, you know, for, for other goals in their life. Like for my husband, he enjoys having a job where he works four tens. So he has three days off on the weekend to be able to do things with his family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, based on what your goal is, but like for someone like me, like my goal is to become a master in my field. Like I want to be a very, very good horseman, you know, eventually (laughs) I am not there yet. Um, and it will take a long time, but it's just interesting in this book mastery of, you know, that's, that's so much time, 10,000 hours, like add that up of something you want to be really, really good at. If you only spend an hour a day at it, that's going to take a long time to get Mm -hmm. to become a master. So it's something that you just have to put so much time into and so much, um, thought work into and, and to sometimes shift your ideas and, and, and be creative with it and combine one thing with another thing, which I think you've done very well in your business of combining your two passions with nutrition and fitness and horses. Um, cause there's not very many coaches out there that focus on both and mm-hmm. like advertise for it being for both. They're either a horse person or they're a fitness and health person. And I just think that's awesome that you can take those two things that, that do speak to you and create a business plan out of that and be successful at it. Like you've got a ton of clients and you're doing pretty darn well at it. So I just think that's super interesting to think about how much time it takes to really like (laughs) be in that, like that apprenticeship. And he's like, and it can be multiple apprenticeships, like quote unquote apprenticeships, but of learning from people or even just learning from like book learning, learning from researching and reading up on people who have done it before you. And, um, And then shifting from like, you know, this person, like, like to me, I have quote unquote apprenticed under, like, I've done a lot of research on Buck Brenneman and followed a lot of his methods. I've, I've watched DVDs and studied on everyone from Pat Pirelli and Clinton Anderson and Chris Cox and Brian Newber and Jim Waters. And I mean, like, you know, a lot of people. So I've, I've pulled from lots of places. And Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's just crazy how much learning there is to becoming a master in your field you know it's not just put the time in it's put the time in in the right place with the right person with the right mentor and in mm-hmm. like all these things so yeah well and honestly because I'm listening and I'm like yeah I feel like even if you put in all that hours you still wouldn't feel like a master you'd still be like <laughs> I'm not there yet Michaela. <laughs> but I think but I think that's actually kind of a I think that's kind of, what's the right word? I think that's a good thing, right? Like, I think that's a good trait to have because you're always going to be in that space of learning, of wanting to know more and like, and being open-minded because there are some people and I've had, I've had some students that I've worked with, especially my writing lesson business. There's one student in particular I can think of where she was young, you know, she had just started writing lessons like three months ago and by golly after three months of lessons she knew more than me she knew more than anybody else and and it was really (laughs) interesting to work with that personality of like okay but there's actually so much more you don't know but because she had that um attitude she stunted her growth 
Like she no longer could learn anymore. And so being open-minded and as open-minded as you are and being willing to look at all the different areas and, and research them, I think is like a huge strength to you and to anyone who wants to be a master, right? I feel like masters don't, they're never like, oh, like this is it, right? I am a master. I never, I don't need to learn anymore. It is a constant state of learning and a constant state of growth to be a master. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Yes. I love that. I'm going to have to read that book. <laughs> Put it on it's the list. amazing. I'm only like halfway. I'm maybe a little past halfway in it. Oh, it's so good. It's a really good book. Well, good. You'll <laughs> have to read. Sometimes, you'll have to read these two that I'm going to talk about too. <laughs> I know. I was looking at the notes and I'm like, okay, I'm adding those to my book list. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I have so many I want to read. Um, but sometimes it's hard too, I think, to put current success behind what you want your future success to be. So for instance, like at one point I started doing more riding lessons on my own horses. So I had, at the time I had um, Bob and Quasi that I would use and, and there was a lot of demand for it in our area. There's not very many people mm-hmm. that do lessons. And so it was like, oh, sweet, you know, income. But what I have learned doing that was I actually realized I am not like, that's not where my passion lies. Mm -hmm. So even though I was making a lot of money and I was getting called all the time to like, do you have availability for lessons? I wasn't as much into just teaching beginner riders how to ride on my horses. I loved teaching lessons where I got to have clients bring their own horse and have me help them with their horse mm-hmm. because I feel like they're so like that's a huge gap in the horse industry too not very many people actually go take lessons a lot of people go and they YouTube things and they want you know which yep. you know again I've done that and you can learn a certain amount that way but and uh, but anyway so I decided to stop offering that part of my lesson program I no longer offer lessons on my horses mm-hmm. um, and part of it is Bob had to be retired and, um, quasi my kids use him a lot. So, um, but yeah, it was hard because like, even my husband was like, well, but like, don't you make a lot of money doing that? (laughs) And I was like, well, yes, but like, I don't want that to be where my business goes. I don't want that to be my focus. And that was starting to become my focus of like, I had several lessons a day of writing lessons Mm -hmm. and, and it was like, well, but I, I, I really like continuing to do the training, you know, of like fully bored and trained horses, as well as really focus on the riders with their own horse so I can help them train their horse. Right. So, but like, it was so hard to go away from that because yes, I was making money at it. Yes. I was filling a need in my community and, but it wasn't taking me to where I wanted to be. So it's, it's kind of hard, I think, to find that balance of quote unquote success, but are you successful in what you want to be successful in right yeah no I love that and that yeah I love that (laughs) Um, because it's so true and it kind of goes back to like the situation I'm talking about with some members of my family that I can think of where they are successful like they make good money doing what they're doing and everything but they're not happy they're not healthy in, in where they're at and I think it's really important to recognize that and it's really 
it takes a lot of guts <laughs> to be able to change that, especially when you are successful in that yeah. area, right? It takes a lot of guts to be like, okay, like, yes, I know I'm making money. I know I can fill these, like fill any spot that you have open and I got to move on and I've got to do something else, which it takes a lot, but it's, but it's good. You need to have that bird's eye view. And it's a very hard thing to train yourself to look for is that bird's eye view, yeah. especially in a business when you're by yourself. And for me, that's one thing like in my business, I'm like, I cannot wait until I have enough clientele and enough work to be able to have like a partner or assistance or something. Right. Because I am somebody <laughs> I'm like, I want to talk things out with people. I am such a talker and um, well, and that's why me and you chat because we're like, hey, someone who gets the like exactly. women's course industry business ownership. <laughs> yes, somebody who understands. <laughs> no, yeah. for sure, because it can be a very lonely place. Running your own business is very lonely, and it does take a lot of self reflection. That yeah. is hard to do, you know, when you don't have anyone else that's saying, "Hey, Camry, like, why uh -huh. are you doing that? You don't enjoy that." You. Like you have to be able to self-reflect and be like, oh, I don't enjoy this. Why am I doing this? You know? Yeah. And it's well, and it is, you have to take those risks too mm -hmm. as the business owner. Like it's if you make this decision and it doesn't go well and you just can't get any clients anymore, like that's you well, know, that's a risk you have to take. <laughs> yeah. And I sometimes think... financial risks too, depending mm -hmm. on the on the business. Right. Well, and sometimes too, and I don't know if you feel this way, but in making those decisions, I feel like I get so narrow-minded and, oh my gosh, if I make this shift, it's all, you know, like I can never come back, but that's not true. Like you can always go back. Like you could always, like, I have no doubt if you sent up like a something on Facebook tomorrow and said, Hey, I'm doing lessons again. You'd have a full week worth of people who's like, <laughs> great, yes, you know, Camry's doing lessons again. And that's something too, like, I have no doubt that if I wanted to go back, especially back to the area that I was in and teach lessons again, I have no doubt that I'd be able to fill my roster, like, yeah. within a couple of weeks. But it's, it doesn't feel that way when you make the change, you know, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like, nope, this is it. If I, if this isn't the right decision and I and it fails, then I'm just done. And it's like, that's not the truth, you know, but it's hard to yeah. see that sometimes in the moment. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk. So I've been talking a little bit about this book. So the big leap by Gay Hendricks, mm -hmm. I just finished it. And, and it's really, like I said, what's gotten my brain turning the last couple of weeks about kind of this stuff, but he talks about in that book, what's called the upper limit problem. And I'm like, mind blown like like <laughs> I have this so bad and I can just like point to exactly like what areas in my life where I have this but the upper limit problem is the idea that when you reach the upper limit of where you think you deserve to be happy you're going to do things that are going to bring you back down so like you have this place where you like to coast, where it's comfortable. You have your place of comfort. And then as you grow and you get happier and happier and happier and happier and like more successful, more successful, more successful, you'll hit that limit of where you believe your worth is at. Like you don't believe you're actually worthy to be at, at this level, if that makes sense. And so you're going to naturally do things like in, in that he talks about like, sometimes this is when people end up with health problems because you know, they, they do things that, and health problems come up and they go right back down to that baseline of, okay, here's comfortable. Mm. Or they'll come up, they'll get really, really happy and they'll do something stupid to break a big deal. 
and they'll go right back down to comfortable comfortable or in your relationships you're getting like more and more happy you're like oh my gosh how could it be so good and then you're going to start doing things to create little arguments and little things because you don't believe it could really be this good right and you come back down to the baseline uh-huh. and this is something I don't know if you watch this this is going to give you a little insight to to some some things I enjoy but the <laughs> <laughs> to have you ever watched love is blind on Netflix I haven't okay it's one of those like you love to like you hate to love it kind of show <laughs> so these people go in and they go into what they call our pods and they talk to each other through a wall but they can't see each other and they talk to each other for a week get to know each other and there's like 14 couples so you just move around and you're dating all these different people and then you narrow it down and pretty soon you like they fall in love and if they fall in love with the person sight unseen they ask that person to marry them and Uh then if that person accepts they come together and they get engaged they actually see each other and then they go and the next like 10 days or two weeks or something I think it's two weeks they go through the process of actually courting each other in real life of meeting each other's family and then at the end of the two weeks they have to get married and they can say no at the altar but it's either say no at the altar or get married (laughs) and move on. So it's interesting, but there's this one in this newer season, there's this one couple that man, like, especially in the pods and like the, for the beginning of them getting together, I'm like, I really just, I thought they were the cutest couple, just so in love with each other. Like the guy's on cloud nine. He's like, I can't believe, like, I was so lucky. She's beautiful. She's everything I ever wanted. Like, oh my goodness. Like I am so lucky and he's just going along being happy and then pretty soon like one or two episodes later he starts sabotaging this relationship like big time where this girl like has just a really dumb little conversation with one of the guys because they get together and do like group dates and stuff and this guy comes over and she has this conversation she goes back to this guy and is very open like this is exactly what was said this is how I responded and he blew up And just was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you even would talk to another guy. Like, how dare you? I mean, and yells and screams at her and just goes on. And anyway, so he starts to do things that are just completely sabotaging this relationship. Uh And it's just like out of the blue, right? Where we're like, what the actual heck? Like you're, you're bringing things out of, you're blowing things out of proportion. You're, you're settling on things that like mean nothing and to the point he's like packing his bags and getting ready to leave her and she's just like shocked like what the heck you know and as I've been like reading this I'm like oh my gosh this is like the perfect example of what he's talking about in the book of this guy hit that upper limit of where he thought his happiness level should be in a relationship and so he sabotaged the crap out of that relationship you know and did everything possible to bring him back down to where he felt like he was comfortable, which is in that kind of like suspicious place. And if you follow him, he talks to like the other men in the, in the episode. And he's like, well, do you really believe I should, I should be happy? Do you really believe that she's the one that, you know, would be for me? And all these guys are like, dude, what is your problem? Like, she's perfect. You're like in class <sighs> nine, like, but it's like, you know, here's the perfect example. So watch, watch him. It's Matt and Colleen are the couples I'm talking about. And it's the current season. It's the current season. So if you watch yeah. them, you're like, that is, he is the perfect example of the upper limit problem being portrayed on screen. <laughs> so it's really interesting. <laughs> but like, Thank you, Hollywood. <laughs> right? And this is something like I've noticed in myself where 
where things have come up and it's like, oh, I couldn't possibly be this successful, especially in my current business where things are rolling. They're good. I'm signing on new clients, everything. And then all of a sudden I have like anxiety attacks and panic attacks. Like, and I'm like, but why? Like I should be feeling really good, but it's just my body's response to that upper limit problem of, Hey, mm -hmm. like we we've hit that limit. We need to we need to slow things down so we come back over here where it's comfortable because we're not sure what's what's past this limit here, right? And yeah. it's just that natural response. So it's really interesting. And I feel like it's helpful. Like I've just started noticing those little things in myself of like, okay, have I just reached that upper limit problem? And is that why my body is responding the way it is? And is that why my thoughts are responding the way that they are? Is that why I'm kind of thinking in the direction I am? Because I want to be comfortable because my body and my nervous system wants to be comfortable because mm. that, that really does limit you. Right. <laughs> um, and it's interesting as I've talked to my husband about that too. He's like, oh yeah, I can see that in you so many times. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, and it's, I think it relates a little bit to, I guess what people call these days, the imposter syndrome, right? Yes. Like you get higher up there, especially like in the business side, like not the relationship. Mm. Well, I'm, anyway, um, it related to the business side is like, for me, I've increased my prices. So when I very first started training, like I advertised my low price on my flyer because oh. I was just like, I wanted clients. And if I was mm -hmm. like one of the more affordable ones, then I would get clients kind of mm -hmm. a thing. So I almost prided myself on being less expensive and it was hard for me to change my prices. Right. I, mean, I changed them when, when you were working for me, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I remember having these conversations with you. Camry, you realize you you like, you need to be charging more. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you sure? Am I, am I really up to par with those people that oh, are yeah. this much? You know, oh, like, yeah. you really almost are like, well, am I that successful? Yep. But at this point to me, like looking back to the trainer, I was when I was charging five fifty mm -hmm. a month. Mm -hmm. to train your horse like you can barely even feed a horse for that no right <laughs> like I, I remember looking at you and being like uh so wait you also feed these horses you board these horses and you're training the horses I'm like okay yeah. <laughs> crazy person and, yeah and and so like looking back at that and looking at like my skill set as well not to mention hay prices everything else that's gone up all my costs for everything have gone up and my skill set has gone up. Like I'm twice the trainer I was then. Oh yeah. <laughs> I will say that like my skill set has evolved quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, so like, yes, you, I, I can charge that, but it, it is so hard, especially for me too. I think because my husband and I are very frugal people mm -hmm. <laughs> for the most part. And I mean, over the years we lived on not a lot of money, <laughs> especially when I was, we were paying off my student loans at the time. And so we were just so used to being like this frugal mindset. Like we didn't want to overpay for anything and we could only afford like bare minimum of like, we could afford the cheapest option of anything we were looking at and, and just had to, you know, pinch pennies. And, and it's, it's such a different mindset to go into like, like I almost felt guilty charging people that much money. Yeah. And, but then again, I had to look at like, what is my ideal client? Is my ideal client someone that's pinching pennies or is mm -hmm. my ideal client someone that has enough um, money to value their horse in that way? Not that people with less money don't value their horses at all. Right. That's not what I'm right. saying, but to the point where they could afford a trainer with my skill set, 
you know? And so it's, yeah, just shifting out of that mindset of like, well, but I want to be affordable for the people that are like me, you know? Right. <laughs> and then, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, a lot of back and forth head games that mm-hmm. you play with yourself um, mm-hmm. when you're trying to figure out, you know, what am I worth and what should I charge? And right. am I really as good as so-and-so or am I as good as I think I am? Or am I just like being an imposter and trying to mm-hmm. pretend I'm this good or, you know, like it is, yeah, lots of head games. <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, and just going into like that money mindset thing, because this is something I've worked really hard on. And by the time you like you and I really got closer, I was in a better space of like, no, you you know, you need to raise your prices, Camry. Come on. <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> it's easier said than done for sure. Yeah. But also, if you think about it this way. So and one one thing that's helped me in my business is I think about prices and things because there are so many times like that I've been like, should I just lower my prices? Cause I feel the same way as you. I'm like, I want to help everybody. And yeah. I feel really bad when I can't, you know, when somebody comes on, they're like, I just can't afford you like that. It's hard. It's hard not to be like, Oh, okay. Like I what know. can you afford? You know, like, cause that's just who I am. I'm a helper. You know, yeah. I am an Enneagram too. If you guys know Enneagrams, I'm, I'm a helper, which means like, I will do anything to help you, whether or not it's helpful or not. Like I'm going to just <laughs> be helpful. So, but looking at money and realizing, look, when I, when my price is here, like when my price is a higher level, I get higher level clients. I get higher level commitment. Like, and it doesn't mean that that client, um, like is an athlete, like I don't get athletes, but it means that they actually mean it right. That they're not going to be that client who I'm like dragging behind me like come on do the thing you know because they're going to be committed enough to what they need to do just by yeah and when you look at it from that way and from a service because we're both service providers but by charging more you actually serve them better because just by charging more they're like in my in my business, just by charging a little bit more, just by charging enough that it's like, okay, yeah, I'll make this work. That like, you are not going to waste that. Right. Now, somebody, I've had a few clients where my price is like nothing. It's like change. Right. And (laughs) those clients, they don't stay right. They don't do the work. (laughs) They are like hard clients to have because they're just not into it. Right. But if I were to charge to their level of, Hey, like, like if I charge, I think this one client, like if I would have charged her maybe double what my price is, then she probably would have been more successful. But because she looked at my price and went, Oh, well, this is a cheap option. Sure. She, she didn't get success because she didn't care. Like she didn't care about wasting as much value in it. Yeah. What you were providing. Exactly. So like in your situation, I guess my question for you, when you were charging 550 a month, how did your clients treat you versus the clients that you get now at a higher price? Uh, worse. Yeah. It's, and like, I, especially in the springtime, uh, spring is like hopping. Like I turn down people multiple times a day, usually in the spring Mm -hmm. and they say, will you put two weeks on a horse and, 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 and I'll pay you a couple hundred dollars. And I'm like, huh. what? No. <laughs> because they obviously don't value 
they're hoarse enough. And it's, it's the ones that are like that, that, you know, they're the ones that, that I used to get that would bring me horses with just feet that looked horrible, that were skinny, that had never been touched, that had just, were not well taken care of. Right. And, um, and now like with what I'm charging and with like my application process, I also require a deposit, non-refundable deposit mm-hmm. to again, make sure people's money is going where their mouth is. And um, you get clients that see the value in it. And like, like there's even some of my clients that are younger that I'm like, kind of like you said, like, I almost want to be like, Oh, can I offer it to you for less? Mm-hmm. Like I just had a gal who booked me for next summer mm-hmm. and, um, and she booked me for four months and that's not a small no. chunk of change mm-hmm. for four months of training. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's younger, newly wed. It's just crazy to me to see like how much more she will value that. Oh yeah. And those ones that, that do invest that time and that money and mm-hmm. in something that they know they're going to get what it's worth. And yep these people are so funny that really think like two weeks here like will you ride the buck out of my horse and (laughs) that's not my way of training anyway right you're like did you even do your research (laughs) yeah I know like did you look at my website (laughs) that's so funny well and going along with that but one thing I have learned because I do the same thing as you like oh well you're just fresh out of college or you're just this like mm, like you know I'll take sales calls and I'll be like I I don't know if they'll sign on because they are pretty young, you know, but that is so unfair of me to like put that assumption on somebody and to just like, like, so I've really changed my mindset around that too, because if they want it, they'll make it work. Right. Like I made it work for me. I couldn't afford it, you know, but I made it work. And because of that, it's changed my life. And for them, it's like, why would I like why would I help them lose that opportunity by putting this assumption on their head you know because when they invest more like this client that's going to come to you for four months she's probably going to be one of your best clients right Mm -hmm. because she has put that work in because she is going to value every little piece she's probably going to be one who's going to want to do the lessons with you who's actually going to be invested Mm -hmm. in helping her horse yeah you know where if you said oh, it's okay. How much can you afford now? Just bring her over. She's not going to be as invested. Like she's not going to come and do all the lessons. She's not going to be as invested in your process just because the value is not there. And it's crazy. It's crazy how that is. But like psychologically, we do make that switch in our heads of, oh, well, it's only that price. Well, they must not actually do that much, you know? And it is funny to me, like, even when you first signed on and you're like, I didn't believe that you provided all this, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) you know, you're willing to pay that much money and this is all you thought you'd get. It was just funny, but I, I get that quite a bit where I'm like, I, I almost have to like push people to use me when they, <laughs> when they sign on where I'm like, you do realize like, this is what I'm here for, right? Like, come on, yeah. like, give me a little bit more. And it is interesting, you know, but it's like, as I like think about that, sometimes I'm like, man, how much could I charge if they, if everyone knew that this, like uh, exactly what I provided, you know, so it's just funny. So yeah. But yes. The next book I wanted to talk about is Grit. Um, and this is by Angela Duckworth. So this one is really, really good. But I will warn you, it is not like a storybook. It is, it is more scientific. She is a psychologist. And so she's pretty much putting her thesis and her um 
PhD research into a into a book for you to read. So it is it is a bit of a bigger read, um, but it's really worth it and really good. What I love though, because so she's done her doctoral research on grit, on like what grit is, who has grit, is grit better than talent? And it's really interesting to listen to. So if you've got kids too, read this book because she talks about how to raise kids with a grit mindset. So they grow up not wanting to quit things. But this is something um, that has helped me change the way that I talk to people and the way that that I view myself and my efforts as well. So she talks about like the differences between talent and grit. So talent, you know, like Camry and I, we are both very talented with riding horses. We're just talented. Like that is just a talent we have. We didn't have to work very hard to be able to ride pretty well, right? But like, does that mean we're the most amazing writers? No, like that is going to take work to get there. But with people who are just talented or they are treated differently. So if you look at like a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, like, look at this talent. Like she can just get on this horse and ride like a queen. Like, it's just amazing. Well, that student will probably never go much further than that with with that because it's just well this is my talent you know she doesn't have to work at it she doesn't have to do the things and the way that you talk about that like well you know you don't have to practice look at how good you are is it sets them up for just plateauing right mm-hmm. where when you get the students and like I've had somewhere I'm like you know are they super talented no but by golly they're going to be the ones who are there early for lessons they're going to be the ones who are actually like making sure that their horses are caught and saddled and ready to go. They're going to be the ones who put in 10 times more time into practicing on their horses. And then they're going to go home and practice their seat on like barrels. And like, they're going to be the ones who really work at it. And they're going to be the ones who go the farthest because they are willing to have that grit and to put that work into and to not quit just because they aren't as good as Susie, who's super talented, you know, loping circles around them. Because that they are willing to look past that and be like, you know, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there and keep putting in that work in the long run. They're going to go the farthest. And I love this because as I talk to like my clients right now, my coaching clients, it's really changed the way that I've talked to them too. And putting things in the words of, wow, like, look at the work you have put in. I am like so proud of the grit that you have and like your discipline in doing this. And it's really changed the way that my clients have approached things. Because if I'm just sitting there going, oh, wow, you're so good. Wow. Like, this is awesome. Isn't it awesome that you got here? If I never said anything about, wow, you worked so hard. Look at the effort you have put in. That just changes that brain of going, yeah, I worked hard. I worked hard to get here. And I'll have people come up to me sometimes and be like, wow, you look great. You know, I'm like, oh, thanks. I worked hard for this, you know, I've worked really hard. So I appreciate that you've noticed my work because sometimes like, if you just take that in as like, oh yeah, this was natural. It's like, well, no, you know, that, that, that will make you stuck, you know? So anyways, what are your thoughts on that? Oh no, I completely agree. Um, I want to say it was a parenting book that I read a few years ago, but it talked a lot about that, about valuing work versus valuing a trait. Mm-hmm. So like the, you're amazing, you're great, you know, the, like a title you're giving them. Yeah. And like, if when you're encouraging your kids, then encourage them with, like you said, you know, valuing the effort and way to put the work in. Yeah. Let them know about the work that you value, not just 
oh, you're such a good singer. Oh, you're such a good wrestler. You're such a good soccer player, you know, whatever. It's no, like, look at how much better you did at this. You put the work in and practiced this certain move or this certain thing and look at how it's paying off and things like that. Like, again, that valuing the work and the effort that was put in. So yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And there's, as I think back about that, there were some kids that I went um, to high school with where I just, I always felt kind of like the dumb girl a little bit because I had to work really, really hard to get good grades really hard. I was studying for hours and, and I just, I had to work very, very hard to keep my GPA up. And some of these girls that I went to school with didn't like, I'm like, did you study for this? They're like, no, why would you know? Like, and they would get like a pluses on everything. And then it was interesting. Cause we go into college and I'm still doing the same thing, right? Like I am studying like crazy. I am working very, very hard and I'm getting A's. And some of these girls I went to college with, like didn't like they had a really hard time getting grades up they had a really hard time like they didn't know how to study they didn't know how to to really put that work in and they were still doing the same things they did in high school and and to me like that that's a pretty good example of this where it's like they were very talented as far as just naturally smart they could naturally retain things but then when life grew they had a harder time growing with it. And now they've really have been successful and they've really learned, but it was really interesting watching that and being like, oh, wow, because I did have to work harder for this. It made me successful, you know, going forward because I had all of that practice and having to put that effort in. And it wasn't something that was hard. It was just something like, well, this is life. Like I have to put effort in if I want this, where for for some of these other individuals um, and not even the ones I went to high school with, even some of my roommates, you know, it was just like, they didn't, you know, they didn't know how to work hard because high school was so much easier for them. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch that and just watch, like, I wonder if, if they had been spoken to differently, where if they hadn't been, oh, wow, like they're the smart kids. They're always getting put into the smarter classes where me, I'm like, oh, like all my friends are going to the smarter classes and I'm stuck here, you know? I'm like, dang, I really want to be there. So I had to work really hard to get there where they were always kind of put on that pedestal of, wow, you're just so smart. Wow. You're, you're just so good at this. I wonder if that had been changed. Like if the lingo had been changed if it would have been a different outcome, you know, after they left high school. So it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Well, and that actually like is putting a little bit of a shift of perspective, I guess, with me. Um, Cause when I grew up, I was like, I think the standardized like school system is set up more for certain personality types. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was definitely set up for the way my brain worked. Mm-hmm. So I was Again, I only ever got one A minus in one semester ever from kindergarten till graduating high school. So I was very naturally good at learning the way that the school system set it up. Right. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting to me is like my parents didn't ever make me get a job during the school year. So they told me your job is to get good grades so that you can get a scholarship to go to college. Like that is, that is your responsibility. And I like, that is the way they spoke to me about it Mm -hmm. was no, you don't have to get a job as long as you're going to pay your own way to college. And, and so grades were very important to me. And again, like I was a perfectionist. I wanted to be right. (laughs) All the things. And so I did have to work for it, but I definitely didn't like my husband was kind of similar to you. He Mm -hmm. had to 
work his butt off in school mm-hmm. um, just because I don't think the school system system was set up as much for the way his brain worked because he is an extremely smart person mm-hmm. uh, and but it's just a different kind of smarts and a different way yeah. of learning yeah and um but my parents went bankrupt when I was 17 so like right as I was graduating oh. high school and I actually ended up getting a two-year scholarship that paid for my tuition for two years and I ended up busting my butt in college to get done in three and a half years um, because of like the AP classes I had taken in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I only had to pay for a year and a half of my college and That's the rest amazing. of it was paid for But like, I don't know, cause thinking about it, I always thought, well, did I like have this like inability to like learn how to work hard for my grades because I was so quote unquote smart. And, but I think that did help like my parents giving me that mindset of you know, you, you don't have to work, but this is your work, your grades right. are your work. Right. And so I think having that mindset made me realize I was working for it mm-hmm. and it wasn't just like easy peasy. And, and granted, like there were times I remember like crying over like <laughs> certain grades and things right. like, it. like, dad, help me as I was in calculus and being like, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just seeing that just that shift of how my parents set that up in my brain mm-hmm. to see that I was working for it and to yeah. value that as my work. So, yeah. Well, and that's a very different too, because you went at it as like, this is very important. I have to get this done. Right. So you are working hard where there are some people who they literally don't have to work. Like yeah. literally they do their homework five seconds before it's due in class, you know, <laughs> like those are the kind of people I'm talking about. <laughs> like, you're definitely no, like you definitely worked very, very hard, but I do agree. Like, I think your parents way of presenting that to you made it so you did. Right. So, yeah, I love that. Did you feel at all? I'm just curious. Um, like, did you ever feel like that was a negative thing that your parents pushed on you? No, Does that makes sense. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. I appreciated being able to still have enough time to have, to enjoy the social parts of being in high school, right. And being able to go out and do things with my friends. Again, I did spend a lot of time doing homework because I was in some very, very difficult courses. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, and then I also had like my extracurriculars, like soccer and choir. And, um, I did a lot of perform like choir and vocal performances. I had a private vocal coach and, and piano lessons as well. So like I had a lot of things going for me, right. but yeah, I, I just saw it as, I was grateful that I didn't have to go and get that job. And like during mm-hmm. summers I did, like I would go and work right. at like the local corn and fresh fruit stand and, uh-huh. and things like that and, and work jobs during the summers. But it was, it was nice during the school year to be able to have the time to focus on my extracurriculars and spending time with friends and, and having time to focus on the homework for those classes. So. Yeah. I love that. Cause I feel like the pushback with this is I, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who would say, well, isn't that mean, like to, to push my kids that hard? Isn't that like, I don't want them to hate me. You know, I feel like that's a, that's a big pushback, but it's like, no, you know, as a kid and with working with kids, kids appreciate knowing the boundaries and they appreciate being pushed. I've never had a kid who's like, man, I hate Michaela because she pushes me too hard or because she got mad at me this one time because I overstepped a boundary. No, most of the time those kids are like, they actually trust me more because they know, Hey, this is where her boundary was. And okay. Like I'm comfortable then like, because I know where I can't go with her. 
Um, and I feel like kids will push in a lot of areas if they don't know. Right. That's when, that's when you're going to get kids who push and be like, how far can I go? Because they don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it is interesting. Some people think that they're helping their kids by just giving them Mm -hmm. all the things. Um, but I think you really have to make a distinction between helping and enabling. Yes. Because I think sometimes we do, our goal is to help, but then we enable by making it too easy. Mm-hmm. for people whether it's your kids or your clients or whatever mm-hmm. um and you actually will help people more if you teach them how to work for something like it's like that quote of like teach someone give someone a fish you feed them for a day teach someone how to fish and you feed them for the rest of their life it's yep. the same concept right you teach them how to work for it and then you've helped them more than just giving them that thing yep so yep I love that I love that. We'll definitely have to have like an episode all about kids. <laughs> and I'm just, it's going to be one where I'm interviewing you and getting all of the like tips and stuff. <laughs> but I love it. Gosh, I feel like we've been talking for forever. So maybe we should just wrap this one up. I know. I'm like, I could probably still talk about other things, but um, we will link to all the books we've been talking about in the show notes. And yeah, is there anything else you want to add before we just sign off? No, I think this has been fun. Okay, great. I know it's been an interesting conversation, a little bit on a different path than what we have been talking about. So yeah, it's fun. All right. Well, it was good to see you again, Camry, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. See you then. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.